Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight we have two of our regular panel, Troy Goodfellow and Bruce Garrick. Welcome to the show, guys. Always happy to be here, where I belong. Hello, Rob Zachney. I'm very glad to be on the show. Okay, what is that? I'm very serious today. This is a show of global world geopolitical importance. Oh my god, is this is this about the intro thing? Is this about, Have you been listening to Troy talking about the intros being too serious? I, I'm very glad to, uh, uh, to be here and uh, talk about uh, Soviet-U.S. Uh, relations. I'm going to make, I, I swear to God, like, Tom's threatened to turn this into a morning zoo before, and I'm ready to follow him over that cliff. This is just Bruce being Bruce. Yeah, that's true. He's a sick, sick man. Uh, speaking of Tom, actually, uh, we welcome him back to the show after a, well, for me it's been a lengthy absence, but I suppose it hasn't been that long since you were here for, uh, you know, doing impressions of me. Hello, gamers! Wait, is, is, is Tom, uh, is Tom on? Garrick. Wait, was oh that... My god. Oh my god, what was <laughs> that? Oh my god. Are we, are we still on? Is, oh my god. is this thing still on? I'm so confused. Okay, uh, this is this is going to be great. I'm, I'm liking the energy in this room. Uh, uh, before we also carry on, if I can get anyone a nice hot mug of tea. What yes. kind of tea, Tom? What, what kind of tea do you have? I have chamomile. I have hmm. a whole bunch of stuff in there that I wouldn't. It's been there for ten years. Like there's mm-hmm. black Irish tea and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, green Chinese tea. It's like a you, you just pair a nationality with a color, and I've probably got it. Hmm. It, it's it's chamomile instead of chamomile. Uh, a lot of people would disagree with you there. So <clears throat> that's another thing Tom Chick is wrong about. Let's just write that down. <laughs> Keep a list. Okay. All right. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about war game European escalation. Uh, the new. RTS Wargame Hybrid uh, from from Eugen Systems, uh, who made... Eugen. What? Eugen, right? Is it? If it's, if it's German, it has to be Eugen, right? Well, it's like, not. It's actually they're, French, they're not German, yeah. they're French. Yeah. So, so I, okay, I'm guessing fine. it would be Eugen. Eugen right. Systems. Sure. However you say it, uh, they made one of my favorite RTSs of the last couple of years, and uh, we talked about it a couple times. It comes up frequently on this show, at least. Uh, Ruse. Uh, so, Tom, I thought we'd start with you because uh, you were actually so excited about this game in particular that you went out of your way to push it forward as a show topic. Uh, so, why don't we start with you? What's so great about Wargame? Uh, what's so great about Wargame? I wouldn't even know where to begin uh, without just talking for an hour. So, uh, I will say what's so great about Wargame is it is everything that made Ruse great but pared down and replaced with uh, this kind of uh, hardware dork's love of the Cold War, of, of like Cold War equipment. Uh, you know, the setting is very much Cold War uh, as opposed to Ruse's World War II setting, uh, and they, they seem to be in love with a lot of those uh, the, those tanks and APCs and helicopters and the equipment that the, that the infantry toted around back then. Um, and it's missing uh, a lot of the gimmick-driven stuff that, that partly made Ruse great, uh, and it replaces it with this more serious kind of war game approach to, to RTSs. Uh, so I, and I think the formula works great. It's just one of those formulas that you don't really see. It, it's, it seems fairly unique, uh, and it, it, it came together very nicely. So I would say that's what's so great about it, in a nutshell. But I, I don't know. I there's a couple things I, I would take. Ooh, reservations. With. Okay, I, yeah, I, have, I have a few reservations. Have, let's get into this. But, um, yeah. Well, okay. So what I what I'd start off with saying is one of the, one of the things that struck me is it, yes, it's full of that like hardware dorks love of uh, Cold War era equipment, mm-hmm. but maybe there's a little too much Cold War equipment love going on in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it is a it is a huge uh, roster of units that you have to master. And, I mean, like, the names don't exactly... Maybe Bruce always knows the difference between, like, the armament of a BMP-1 and a BMP-2 versus a BTUR. Uh, but I, I simply don't. And so I spend, I spend... I think it becomes sort of a learning curve problem for this game, where you have to spend a lot of time sort of browsing through, uh, you know, the, the, the catalog of units you can buy and figure out exactly what the hell they do and how all the little variants... Uh, change how they're going to perform on the battlefield. Like, right. does the Leopard 1A3 have the stabilizer and the good optics, or does it just have the optics? I don't know, but that's going to matter. Well, now, wait, I if actually... you didn't like that, maybe you should have gone back in time and made them not have so many things. I mean, that's just how it was. 
Right? Well, you know, part of, I, I really like, uh, Rob, I, I'm glad you raised that reservation because it, it brings two things to mind for me. I think they've got a great gameplay approach to to all of this variety. Like, I, I think there's, uh, you, you talk about how you have to do that, and I kind of feel like you don't have to do that because they gradually let you unlock things. Like, they don't dump all of this into your lap at first. When you first play War Game European Escalation, Good Lord, do I hate that name. But uh, when you first play it, all you have is one tank, uh, maybe a couple of different infantry, one recon vehicle, one light little helicopter, one artillery, one anti-aircraft, and one logistics thing, and supply trucks. Like, you basically got eight pieces to play with. Now, mm-hmm. as you play, you get these little unlockable bits. Uh, it almost takes a cue from, from console games, you might say. Uh, and so as you're getting this currency that lets you unlock new stuff... Then what you're describing, Rob, is kind of the case. Everything is there, and you might have to obsess about, you know, are the optics better on a Leopard 1A2 or on a Leopard 1A3 or whatever. Uh, but I, I think what the game encourages you to do is it just gives you enough stars to where you can only unlock one thing at a time. So basically what you need to decide is do I want a better tank? Do I want a cool helicopter? Do I want to go with artillery? Uh, you, you know, it's never forcing you to deal with all this stuff at once. It's just letting you chip off bits uh, at, at a time. And, and so I said I had two things in response to your comments, and I forgot what the second one was already. So, well, so Troy and Bruce, uh, I, I know you you guys probably started with the game a little bit later than than Tom and I did. So how did you find how did you find that initial introduction to the game, especially with the game sort of starting you off um, with everything locked? Pretty much, because uh, that was that was one of the first things we're into. Is like, oh, you don't you don't start with much. Did that work for you? Are you are you enjoying the uh, the progression system? I'm enjoying a lot more than I thought I would, uh, because I compare this to other. I compare this to uh, was a Command and Conquer was it four? That had or was it three? That had all of the it was four. Uh, four four where you had to constantly unlock units, and it was a real pain in the ass, and it was really it made it a very bad game. Um, I think it was the variety here, or because uh, the missions are actually quite compelling and interesting, and because there is uh, this Cold War hook, that I don't mind the unlocking. I really enjoy having the trickle of units. Uh, this is, I mean, my first, I had like two reactions to it when I played it, and I've started to really like it. First, this is this is just, this is modern day land harpoon. This is Cold War, all the equipment. All these funky little things you got to manage, systems you've got to learn, uh, but they don't overwhelm you with it. And but you, a few scenarios in, you do learn it and you do master it because it's and the information's right there if you need it. I mean, <laughs> you turn on the unit info and you can find it and you can pause. And it's not a huge, huge barrier. Barrier. And the second thing is, this is a General John Hackett's Third World War. If you've read that book when you were growing up, which I did you know, in the end of the Cold War. This is 1970s, I mean, this is 1975 combat they're showing. You're not going to see all the latest, greatest uh, America and Soviet equipment out there. You're going to see some pretty, what's now primitive stuff. And it's all kind of cool. Uh, and it's a very huge cool factor in this game that I think makes the unlocking um, and the how do I spend these command stars, as Tom said, really an interesting choice because you don't know the campaign, what the next scenario is going to be. You don't know in multiplayer who you're going to be playing, what you want to add to your deck. Um, it's picking the unit you think either to shoot, either to buttress the strength you have or to shore up a, a weakness you have. And it's a nice little bit of uh, deck building that I just find really interesting and really clever approach to the problem. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I approach it a little differently. I, I saw it sort of as the... Um... The fact that all these weapons were locked out was sort of reflective of the fact that we were, I just felt we were in a democratic administration, in which there really weren't any weapons to defend ourselves with, and um, I felt that the... It's uh, 1975, so it's actually Gerald Ford. Well, after, you know, still, look, it's essentially democratic. So the, the mechanic of unlocking things was sort of like a Republican... Um, sort of Republican Congress trying to, uh, you know, kind of defend us from the Soviets. Because, you know, the Democrats are like, well, maybe we should just be, you know, maybe we should just join them. Maybe we should use their weapons. And we're like, no, you know, here, how about this How about this better tank? And how about this other better tank? Um, I was just paging through this book, Weapons and Tactics of the Soviet Army by David Isby, uh, that I pulled off the shelf. It's uh, from 1981. 
And uh, I just want to read, read you something here. <clears throat> Combat usage. The M1944 was the biggest towed anti-tank gun in World War II, and along with the M1955, was used in Vietnam in the 1967 and 1973 Middle East Wars. The Indian Army has made extensive use of M1944s and M1955s and used them alongside 25-pounders as standard divisional field and anti-tank guns in 1971. The T-12 and T-12A have never seen action except in Afghanistan. And now. So... Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's it's great that the game has brought us, uh, you know, really <clears throat> kind of really simulating what would have happened and how, how badly we would have won if uh, the Soviets had ever tried to pull anything like they uh, obviously tried to pull in this game. I don't know what that passage was that Bruce read, but uh, can you do something from Game of Thrones later? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, another, so, another uh, historical document right there. Right. Uh, one of the things that I do love about this period of time, aside from it representing Bruce's golden age when we transitioned from Carter to Reagan, uh, is I, I really appreciate, and you can't do this until you get out of World War II, but I really appreciate how it captures this enormous shift on the 20th century battlefield from the doctrine of... World War II, where armor penetration and, and the, the, the caliber size of a, of a tank gun or an anti-tank gun was basically a determinant in combat. Like, that was a huge deal in World War right. II. And one of the really cool shifts that we see in warfare during the Cold War uh, is the arrival of uh, anti-tank guided missiles yeah. uh, and how they, they completely changed the calculus of, of that. It's a shift every bit as important as, like, the machine gun or, or the discovery of gunpowder, I think. But um, it- it also it also changes the but <clears throat> interestingly enough the uh, because of the because the Soviets are one side obviously and they have all their their tanks and 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 uh, it's sort of a, a linear development the uh, the NATO units have you know three sort of different uh, takes on what you do to sort of address that issue right because the the uh, the all the main battle tanks in NATO are actually pretty different for example the Challenger mm-hmm. uh, is a straight up kind of World War II development, right? I mean, you just put a whole bunch of armor on this tank and give it a big gun. Uh, whereas uh, uh, the Leopard is, you know, a more mobile thing, although the the, the Rheinmetall, uh, uh, you know, main gun is actually probably uh, as good or probably better than the the, uh, the M1 Abrams until they upgunned it. But uh, you have all these different kind of things that you can, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> sort of, different national historical approaches to solving exactly the problem that you're talking about. So it gives you kind of this, this uh, um, you know, instant diversity of units. Well, and I love how it's sort of, for, like, the use of the force pool in this game forces you to wrestle with the sort of difficulties that uh, both the, the Warsaw Pact and especially NATO would face as they try to, like, put together a multinational force where, you know, you can't simply go in and say, screw it, you know, it's like the M1 is going to be the backbone of my armor force, that's going to be the, you know, that's going to be my strategy, that's the type of army I'm going, that's how I'm going to, what I'm going to build my army around. You have, you, you have to bring in a mix of units from other countries, um, you know, uh, of differing capabilities, and sort of figure out the best way to use... You know the the com- the combination of you know different philosophies you see in the in the way these weapons are designed, mm-hmm. but also just the different strengths and weaknesses um, that I, that I think actually does make sort of doing a deep dive on what these weapons do. As much as it can be a bit overwhelming to me when I, especially during my initial um, you know in, in, like entry into the game, uh, I, I think that ends up making it quite rewarding. Uh, figuring out how you're going to best employ you know the handful of uh, you know elite tanks you have and then kind of the the crap your polish and uh british allies hey, are bringing with them well first of all first of all the 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 british uh, should, should there you should never use the word crap and allies with british because uh the british army of the rhine was actually uh you know all volunteers pretty much uh and probably i mean just as good a, a nato unit as i think the rest of the the troops in europe this um, the, the the chieftain does not fare well in this game my friend well, the chieftain was uh, was basically the the original chieftain. Chieftain Mark One was uh, uh, basically just an up armor of the of the centurion, as I remember correctly. But uh, the, you know, and that's another thing that that it's a good thing you bring that up because um, I don't think that people should draw too many conclusions from this because 
this is clearly, and we should talk about this. It's mm-hmm. this is not a simulation. This is a real-time strategy game. There's no way. There's there's no attempt to model uh, command at all. Right. Uh, right. And what what Rob described is a very gamey thing, which I think is is an asset rather than a liability. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's clearly built as a paper, rock, scissors, RTS right. system. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, but it has these really really cool historical trappings draped over it. I mean, just as Age of Empires. You know, there's no realism there about how trebuchets work. Uh, they're historical trappings, and they're translated into this gameplay system. A smart yeah. gameplay system, by the way. They're translated very well into this gameplay system. Um, so, And that's one of the things I love about it. I love the way, even though I, I doubt it's realistic in certain senses, like I love the way artillery can trump certain land forces, and I love the way you can do an in-run around artillery with, with special... Uh, forces like infantry dudes. Uh, I love how air power is modeled, even though fixed wing aircraft don't exist in this game world. Um, you know, it's all very gamey, and that's not, I mean, and that's a good thing. Uh, you know, if you want to make an RTS, that's a good thing. And they do manage to stealth in these wonderful war game conceits right. that uh, some of us might like without mm-hmm. alienating RTS players, I think. I wanted to actually, you said it's a very rock paper scissory rts and mm-hmm. so i want i want to talk about that a little more actually because i really I, I really think compared to sort of the a lot of other rts's you you find some very clear uh rock paper scissors um you know splits whereas this game because of what you were talking about earlier tom with the uh anti tank missiles uh completely changing the battlefield i'm not sure i've ever played an rts that feels less rock paper scissory than this one does because everything like if you see an APC mm-hmm. and you have tanks you don't know you could be terribly vulnerable to that infantry in a tree line can like completely lay waste to your tanks but at the same time they're like really vulnerable to suppression it doesn't the, the counters in this game are I think they operate at a higher level it's not like unit counters unit it's much more like tactic counters tactic uh, it, sort exactly. of shift, it sort of shifts it, I think, from what you see in a lot of other strategy games. I mean, all the best RTSs, I think, do that. It's a, it's an other things, all other things being equal. It's rock, paper, scissors. But in certain conditions, with certain upgrades, in certain positions, and uh, all of the best RTSs, I think, have those sorts of considerations. But you're right, this does take it to a much higher level. Because, I mean, you know, it isn't a simulation. It isn't absolutely purely going to model everything about... Uh, a charge uh, from Eastern Germany into West Germany, but it does have just enough realism to lift it above something like you know Age of Empires, where a centurion is a guy with a spear, which makes zero sense at all. You know, it actually does have, make some effort to translate um, RTS design into a realistic setting. It, it, it does, even if it's not a simulation, it pays justice and you know some real tribute uh, to understanding these weapons and the tactics and the rock paper scissors mechanic i think works within that um it's it doesn't do it doesn't do great violence uh to the setting to have a soft rock paper scissors system uh like wee has but i think one of the things that makes the rock paper well <clears throat> to the extent that it's rock paper scissors uh the 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 sort of uh kicker to that whole thing is the cover system uh, yeah. And the importance of of recon, which I mean, you can basically many yeah. units are much more uh, effective than they than they would be otherwise if they're not uh, properly uh, you know disclosed or or, or scouted uh, by recon. I mean, you can uh, you can have your complete force wiped out if if uh, somebody's hiding in the trees and you and you just kind of charge at it with with tanks or APCs or something like that without uh, scouting it out first. Sounds like you know that from experience, Bruce. Uh, I, I I deduced it through uh, through a lot of analysis and also being killed by you. Uh, and, and that's that's one of those like hardcore war game conceits that I really appreciate that they managed to stealth into there. And by the way, that again reminds me of one of the great things about Harpoon. You know, I played Harpoon a lot when I was a kid, and what that game taught me is this whole new model of warfare where if you could see it, you could kill it. Uh, and there's a little bit of that going on here. Um, so what Wargame European Escalation does is with this line of sight system, it's hugely important. It's not a binary either or thing. It, it, it's very subtle in ways. I remember having a conversation with someone about the game, uh, who wanted to think of it like he did 
uh, like with Ruse, Eugen Systems had this thing where when you had a unit selected, there was a hard circle around the unit that you could display, and that showed you where the unit could see. So that anything inside that circle, you knew, you know, even if it had stealth or whatever, you knew exactly what it was, you knew exactly where it was. So as you moved your units, you had this hard circle, and anything in that circle was 100% reliably identified. That's not the case here. So uh, someone I know who was playing it was like, well, I really need this circle when I'm playing this game so I can see where and what my tanks can see. You know, where do I have line of sight to? Where do I know I'm safe? And you can't do that here because Wargame has this great system where it combines a unit's size, every unit has a size value, whether or not it's moving, and where it's located. You know, is it in a forest? It combines that with the spotter's optics value. And there's no hard line. You know, your your unit, your recon unit might be able to see to a certain point, and if there's a tank at that point, it will see a tank. However, if there are infantry at that point, it will not see those infantry. Uh, so it's a, it's a vague, kind of scary, kind of soft uh, system of incomplete intel, uh, and I really like that we have that in, in this game, and it adds a lot of that, that important element of, of warfare from the time where if you can see it, you can kill it. Um. Yeah, and it I makes really you want to buy. Uh, sorry, it just makes you want to buy yeah. uh, good recon units. I mean, good recon units yeah. mean a lot in this game. And that's where too, like like the Kiowa. You know, when you get a recon helicopter, which you don't start the game with, by the way, but once you have this awesome eye in the sky unit that you can move around quickly, holy cats! It's like you're. It's like you. It's like you've played a whole new game almost. Like right. I love how some of these units completely change the way the gameplay feels. What's what's, uh, what's or the, the gazelle? Recon- don't be anti-European. Well, there's a Kiowa. Like I love the Kiowa. You know, there is a there is a recon gazelle that you can unlock. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. The French have a, a recon unit that has a really powerful anti-tank gun. I don't remember the name of it, but I loved that thing because that thing was absolutely lethal. Because you just like park it on a flank and yeah. just like you know just make sure like that road is clear. And the first thing that comes down the road is just going to get wasted by these things, and then they can bug out. Uh, I mean, you know, they can't stand up in a fight, but I mean, they're basically, I mean, they're basically a car with the equivalent, whatever the modern equivalent of the of the '88 would be. Bujo. Was that it? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Volkswagen. Yeah. Saab. <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, and the, these great toys. So Rob, you talk about you know when you're going through and you have to worry about oh is this gun bigger than that? That's part of this. Uh, I almost think of it as a loot chase or like a Pokemon collectible system. <laughs> That's part of the system. But when you're early on playing the game, you there there are more there are broader, more significant things you can unlock that you will find. Like like for instance, holy cats, a supply helicopter. You know, there's I love the supply model here. It's very gamey again in that everything has a limited amount of fuel. If something takes damage, you know, supply will magically mm-hmm. repair it. Um, and ammo, like uh, it'll magically refill ammo. So, But I love the fact that you want to have these supply trucks ready to repair your – I mean, they're your medics, basically. Uh, and you want to have them ready. But you can unlock this awesome, huge, honking supply helicopter that it's easy to see. It's easy to shoot down if you're not careful. But, uh, good God, it can carry uh, just a metric ton of, of supplies of healing and ammo and fuel to you wherever you need it, and it can get there quickly. Uh, and that's another one of those game shift things that you, that you unlock later on with your command stars. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, <clears throat> that's such a great hook for somebody like me just because, you know, I want to unlock, uh, you know, the, the AMX tank, or yes. uh, you know, some right. I just I I I want to be able to use that unit, and I can't. And uh, I think, wow, you know, I should just play some more of this so I can unlock that unit. Now we yeah. need to talk about how terrible their deck building, their non-existent Ugh. deck building interface mechanic Ugh. thing is, <laughs> and how you basically have to have someone walk you through it on Skype. Uh, <laughs> which is, which I've, is what happened I've, to me. I've had that exact experience, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's I like, what do you do? What do you click on? What are yeah. you doing here? And then. Uh, my my favorite was that I almost <clears throat> the second campaign scenario I almost won without with with these three uh, chieftain tanks I, I came so close to winning it uh, and I was like this is this scenario is impossible and then I'm talking to Tom when we're we're playing our multiplayer game he's like oh yeah dude why don't you just uh, why don't you just get some reinforcements? Like, what reinforcements? They didn't say anything about reinforcements. It's like, yeah, just click on the little little uh, button up in the upper left where the numbers are, and you can get a whole bunch of reinforcements. So, of course, I won the scenario in like 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it just the, the the interface is just a catastrophe in that sense. 
part of the problem, I think, like Eugen Systems has done, uh, you know, before uh, Ruse, they did a really good Command and Conquer clone called Act of War that improved mm-hmm. on a lot of the clunky interface stuff. Um, and then they did Ruse with uh, with, with Ubisoft, uh, and Act of War was published by Atari. So I think in the past they've worked with uh, publishers who have producers who know a thing or two about game design and interfaces, mm-hmm. and they probably tell them things like, hey, guys, work on the interface. Right. This presentation needs some help. They don't really have a publisher here. It's a little tiny company, uh, so I don't think they have someone – sort of breathing down their necks, telling them, you know, this deck interface is awful. You could present certain information more clearly. Right. Uh, maybe the manual says could there. work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what the hell is there? Right. Oh, variant. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it just, this, just, it's just, oh, what a just disaster. Sorry, I interrupted so you. So you, you, but you're, so you're I mean, you're right. You yeah. kind of have to really want to like this game because yeah. it's not really going to meet you halfway. You're, it's nope. going to make you come over to it on its terms. At which point, there's a really fantastic thing to discover. But just as far as basic usability well, and getting people in more easily, uh, I, I just wish those guys had done a little more work. Yeah, you can definitely. I mean, you can definitely feel the lack of Ubisoft uh, in that respect. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'd be, I'd be wary of of belaboring the interface point too much because my, my view on it is this: like, the first impression this game makes is pretty rough. Like, you're navigating these menus; it's, it's not a pretty picture. The first time you're building a deck, um, it, it can be a little frustrating. But for me, like, all of that dropped away once you know I started my first game, and then it had that. You know, I, I thought once again it had that wonderful like elegance and flow that uh, Ruse did. Maybe not quite as attractive as Ruse was. I think I think Ruse is a gorgeous game, and this one just seems um, a little coarser in some ways. Uh, but but in terms of you know the way it controls, um, you know I, I find I find that I find like just as I, just as I did with Ruse, I find this also a, a very easy game to play. The playing of it is. It, you know, it is almost like a joyful feeling, you know, throwing these units around the map uh, that a lot of other RTSs, in my experience, you know, don't quite don't quite give me. Uh, a lot of them I feel like I'm fighting with them, and this, I, I feel, is kind of working with me. What's missing, Rob, that I think other RTSs have, and actually just using the word missing sounds like I'm making a value judgment, what is not in, in your Wargame European Escalation that is in most other RTSs is micromanagement. Uh, is making sure you're setting unit facing and that you're doing that the unit, like a lot of units in an RTS, uh, have special abilities that you'll fire off during combat. You know, like, like a, a shield or, a, you know, it'll pop smoke or it'll, it'll root in place and shoot faster. There's none of that here. Like this yeah. is a game simply about deciding what you're going to use and where you're going to put it for the most part. And then your role is done. Now I'm not, I don't mean to minimize the gameplay, but it's that, it has that elegance. And Ruse did the same thing. You're not micromanaging your individual tanks and your infantry. You're just telling them where to go, at which point they kind of do their thing. There's a little bit of the close combat model almost. Uh, and complete with yeah. morale, by the way. Like units will freak out and you'll lose control of them and they'll run off and go where you don't want them to go. Um, I really like that that element of it. I like the fact that you can look at your unit and it says, you know, so and so is worried. Yes. So and so, so and so is like shaken. So and so is panicked. Okay. Right? Well, not I just mean, that. You'll get a little pop up box like uh, like so and so's tread is stuck in the mud, right, right. or the the targeting computer has to be rebooted. Uh, right. They'll tell you that alert this, boxes. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Right. That, that, but that's a diff, that's a different issue, right? I mean, you see the you see the the, the morale state of the unit. Right. In the right it, over the when you select them, you can see them. You know the reload. There's a reload timer. Um, and that's very like, close combat. Yeah. Like that yeah. that level of this right. is information about what this exactly. guy is doing at this time. He is aiming his gun. When this bar right. fills up, he will shoot it. Uh, I right. love that. Yeah. And, and but the, but the, just like you said, you know, the, it's like very close combat in the sense that uh, you know I've had cases where you know I send out you know uh, you know uh, four tanks and uh, they um, you know they engage somebody and then I see. Uh, uh, some you know somebody that's trying to flank them, and then I'm I'm trying to get back over to you know tell them oh wait wait, wait look these guys are coming but then two of those guys have already engaged they can already see you know they're they're traversing the yeah. turret and they're taking pot shots at the the guys that are coming around so it really is uh you know and and every time that I've tried to fiddle with that and sort of you know align them a little better or just move them a little better it usually it usually comes out worse. Like uh, you know, they they start backing up and moving and and not and they right. lose the firing that they were the firing solution that they had. So um, yeah, so it it definitely uh, it the, the the tactical AI for 
for lack of a better uh, way to put it, uh, I think works pretty well. But generally, my biggest concern is telling them when to stop. You know, because when they advance and shoot, they're not as good as when they stop and shoot. So sometimes they're moving along and they tap Q, Troy. You got to yes, oh, no, sorry, I tap know. E, tap E. Q yeah, is I know, attack but move, you got to even stop. E is stop. Well, there we go. You your attack moves. That's like your thing. Oh, I don't see how you can play. And this is another thing yeah, I, I love here. It's, it's, yeah. it's got the, the standard RTS. You know, there's no stances, by the way. Like, I like no. that. But you've got your attack move. You've got your stop. Those are hugely important, Troy, because, like you said. Yeah, oh, I, the, I, I agree, yes. One, one of the values for a unit, I think it's called stability, but it has to do with yeah. how well it can Stabilizer, fire while it's yeah. moving. Stabilizer, right. Thank you. Uh, but then they've also got this third movement option, which I really love, and it kind of makes the map, it gives the maps a lot of flavor. The third movement option to move fast. Yep. And that basically yep. just means if you can get there, you know, using a paved road, use the paved road for as long as you can, and then once you have to leave the road, you know, make the, rather than go as the crow flies, use road movement. Also, that cuts fuel consumption, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, you know what? I bet. Well, fuel consumption's weird, Rob. Like, I don't, like, when a helicopter hovers, I don't think it's using its fuel, so there's some weird stylized thing going on with fuel consumption. It lands, actually. I mean, the helicopters I see actually, they seem to be sitting on the ground until you tell them to move again. I don't think they're parked. I think they're hovering low. Like, you can set two different altitudes, you can set two different altitudes based on whether you want it to get a higher line of sight. But I don't think if you move a helicopter somewhere, it's going to land, unless it's repairing or refueling. If there's supply nearby, it will land to repair and refuel. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's the the fact that they are landing in the field where, like, I find them near where a truck was, for instance. Right, exactly. And that, um, they definitely have to land because you have to, like, stop to repair or refuel. So the helicopter will land, but otherwise it stays at low altitude. And I don't think, just for convenience purpose, I don't think it's using fuel when it does that. Right. Um, but I bet but, you're right, Rob, is that the, the road movement has to do with fuel. Well, I think you're quite sure. I'm pretty sure it does. I've been using it quite a bit. Uh, yeah. To get around. Well, I just I just had a scenario actually, um, and we should talk about the campaign here. Uh, but I had, I had a scenario where I, I was trying to basically uh, break out of an encirclement uh, with some with some uh, U.S. armored cavalry, and so I got the bright idea of saying, okay, well, you know, the roads are probably being watched. There's there's a lot of resistance along there, so I will like start avoiding the major highways, go overland. Uh, sidestep everyone and my troops like they, they couldn't get anywhere without bogging down and starting to like you know basically I, I looked back and there's like this litter of like APCs that ran out of gas <laughs> and uh, my re- like a recon unit that like wandered off couldn't get back uh, and when I when I replayed the scenario and I, I stuck to the roads uh, yeah my my guys like didn't run into anywhere near those problems uh, so it it definitely seems like you use up fuel quite a bit if you're going overland and then combat maneuvers uh obviously well, there's uh, a big there could be a puzzle to the to the campaign it seems to me just from playing it there's a lot of that later on especially like i i never care particularly for rts campaigns i can see how if you like that kind of thing you would like this but yeah there's a lot of puzzly stuff later i love the cutscenes at the beginning though with uh ford and Bryce, you know, shaking hands and pictures of reagan uh, yeah, oh, that's so of course cool. Bruce loves that. When he, yeah. when he called when he called the when he was so dreamy when he called the Soviet Union the evil empire. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't show up in the beginning, unfortunately, in 1975. Uh, the, yes. the fuel thing also does a great thing in, in terms of like balancing units. And one of the things I noticed is that the Soviet uh, the ZSU 20, 27s, 23s. What do they shoot at air, at helicopters? Shilkas. They're just called Shilkas, dude. It's Shilkas. No, no, but uh, no. But which ZSU is it, Tom? Which ZSU? I have no idea because there are three. The one you start kinds. with, okay. The one you start with, like the one you start with, and I imagine this is one of the things you can upgrade. But they don't have much operational range. You know, they can't get very far across the map before. Oh, it's out of fuel. It's not going to go any farther until I bring a truck up. Uh, and I love how that can be used for some of the balancing. You know, especially on some of the larger maps when you're playing. You know, three v three games on big maps. Getting to places is a huge deal, which therefore ties into the map control system that they have where reinforcements can come in. But I love how operational range is now, you know, we now have that as part of an RTS. It's a little bit of micromanaging there, but because there's no other micromanagement, like I I am content modeling that kind of war game aspect, you know, supply lines, fuel uh, in, in, in war game. Uh, Rob, I have a question for you. Yeah. So as a Ruse fan, Ruse relied a lot on what we might call uh, god powers. Uh, you know, there are a lot of little tricky uh, sort of 
strategic layer powers you can fire off in Ruse to manage the game. Nothing is like that here. There, there's a game that this might remind some folks of called World in Conflict. Um, yes. Which and World in Conflict has crazy god powers. You know, you're calling in airstrikes and artillery strikes and chemical gas attacks, and there's a, there's a tactical nuke for Pete's sake in, in mm-hmm. World in Conflict. Uh, that's such a god power driven game. None of that. None of those ruse powers, none of those world in conflict god powers, none of that is in war game European escalation. No fixed wings air, fixed wing aircraft. Uh, how do you feel about that, Rob? Do you, do you miss that stuff? Well, as far as the ruse powers go, um, I was a little disappointed they're not a part of the game, but that's mainly because I, I, I think they're an interesting idea. I would like to see them iterated on, see where else you go with them. Because the one, the one thing that bothered me about them in ruse after a while. Is that if you played it? If you played a lot of multiplayer, there was definitely a routine uh, to to using those powers. That this started this started to get very rote. You know, like you, you were constantly like just waiting, basically to hit refresh on concealing your units in a sector. So I mean, they they were cool powers, right? But after a while, you just knew which the good ones were and what you needed to fire off. And then you weren't really thinking about it. It was just something you needed to like watch the cooldown timer on, uh, which wasn't great. As far as um. You know, as far as world and con- the as far as the sort of god powers you find in world world and conflict, I don't know. I kind of miss them more just as a an aid to flavor. You know, I suppose. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I would love to be able to like call in A10s and just like blast a tree line. Uh, I mean, that'd be fantastic. But you know, do I miss them when I when I'm playing the game? And eh, not so much. I, I I think you know, like for instance, um, you know, an obvious an obvious case would be calling in fixed-wing aircraft to swat down uh, enemy helicopters. You know, the battlefield's already hazardous enough for helicopters. Like, I mean, would, would, you, would I really want that in the game? I, it, it would probably be more frustrating. So I don't, I, don't, I don't really miss that. And, I mean, you know, World in Conflict, I, I think, you know, wh- where that game really worked was uh, team-based multiplayer, where everyone's sort of, you know, commanding a different service branch, basically, and everyone's firing off god powers at different times. This is, well, this is much more of a war game, and I, and I don't think that stuff really really suits it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, how, how did you find that decision? Oh, I, I think it's crucial. I mean, I think it's crucial to what makes this good it, because all of those things, like you can you can counter helicopters easily, but it's all in the units. It's all in what, like like I said before, this boils down to what you what units you buy and where you put them, uh, and you don't get to trump that by storing up, you know, god powers. Uh, so I'm glad that's not there. It gives the game a different kind of focus, um, mm-hmm. you know. And and so I, I love that they chose not to do that. Um, yeah, nothing's I, I don't worse miss than them at nothing's all. worse than spending money on anti-aircraft than having no helicopters shoot down. <laughs> well, you know what? They're awesome. Many of them are awesome against uh, infantry. Maybe, I've yes. definitely been able to to uh, oh, have yes. my have an ancillary benefit from having well, those anti-aircraft. Around. Also, have you noticed how tankers uh, react to them? When you say tankers, you mean like, the guys who drive tanks? Yeah, or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. How they react to anti-aircraft? Yeah. So I nearly lost. I nearly lost a uh, two-on-one match uh, to to this guy. It was like one of my first multiplayer games. I was playing with a friend. We were on a team. Uh, the, the second guy we were going to play against just like dropped just as we were launching the match. We ended up playing <laughs> this one dude. So what he does is he builds in the, in his starting area. He builds a ton of forward operating bases. All the artillery he can buy. Right. And then a bunch of anti-aircraft guns. And so w- when we sent in to clear, clear them out, uh, we, we brought up a lot of tanks. The anti-aircraft were so effective at suppressing tanks and causing the crew just to freak out and rout that, I mean, it was like kryptonite to these guys. It, it, was, it was insane. We, we damn near lost this match. Uh, to this to this complete cheese tactic. Uh, I mean, it was clever. It was it was cool. But at the same time, I I, I do sometimes worry that um, I mean, my God, these like if a if a quad machine gun gets within range of one of your tanks, uh, your tank basically just freezes. It's it's stuck. So okay, there's there's here's something that again I wish they would document this better because it's so easy to miss this. But when you buy a unit in multiplayer. Uh, you are buying it basically at level zero experience, and that's its morale rating. Uh, now, if you come down in this little box, there's a there's a list of boxes, each with more chevrons in them. If you come down there and you click one of those boxes with more chevrons, you are buying the unit with additional morale. 
Mm-hmm. So therefore, it will not freak out at artillery. It will not run away uh, when it's confronted with, you know, a quad cannon plinking off of its armor. Uh, there, there's a system in there to counter that, and I just don't think they document it very well. I did not even know that. I don't think yeah. it's I don't think it's just the the morale. I think that they I've noticed that those units uh, have a better accuracy. They yeah, they reload faster. It, they it, fire it, faster. It, it Absolutely, makes a yeah. big difference. The veterancy that's actually one of the things in this game. Veterancy makes a huge difference. And it um, happens on the fly as well. Like as units yeah, fight, yeah, you'll see them yep. level up, mm-hmm. but you can pre-buy yeah. them high level. So Rob, you could counter that cheese tactic by just making sure that you've got experienced ta- that you're purchasing experienced tank crews. Yeah. Um, well, and, that, and that's what we ended up doing. Actually, right. is we we sent some level threes in there to root them out and engaged from range. And it, well, also he ran. He was running out of uh, ammunition. Well, yeah, and uh, he's also not going to get any map control either. Right. Like, if he's going to do that, there's a. I love the map control system here. Uh, I see that that mm-hmm. cheese tactic plenty, and I, boy, I hated artillery when I first started playing. But you just have to realize artillery is not going to capture territory. Um, and if even though he's probably going to try to root out your little command vehicles that you use to seize territory, one of the cool things you can unlock an armored command vehicle. You know, and yep. give it experience so it won't bug out when artillery lands around it. And explain um, explain the thing about so the listeners may not know that uh, you know the, the when you play these matches the the, the issue is capturing our capturing um, territory allows you to bring in reinforcements, but what actually determines the victor is the number of points that you score. Yeah. So how do you? So, so Bruce, you go ahead and explain it. You know how it works, and, and I'm curious how you feel about that. Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty interesting. Um, it, I mean, it certainly goes it um, allows for sort of the kind of hedgehog tactics that uh, you know you can sort of concede. The way it works is that uh, you have to have a command vehicle, and the game gives you sort of this as you as you scroll in and out, gives you these um, uh, you know zones like Alpha Bravo. By the way, I love the fact that uh, <laughs> as the the uh, the the zones have different names. Uh, if you're on the packed side, it gives you the you know uh, a suitable um, uh, Russian kind of version of the of the letter, a word with that letter. But um, the uh, uh, the the sectors um, have uh, all have names and the. By capturing certain sectors, that uh, you know abut the map edge, you can bring in uh, reinforcements. So you need to put a, um, a command vehicle there. And I remember the the first couple games, including one I was playing against Tom, uh, I all of a sudden lost control of one of my sectors. And I was looking around like, oh my god, Tom's got into the you know into the back. He's like <laughs> stuck these guys around. Oh my god, he's you know, cheating. He's got a hack. And uh, it just turns out that. You you're you're you only control a sector when the command vehicle is stationary. So as soon as I started moving my command vehicle, I lost control of the sector, which I was kind of uh, shocking, panicky at that time. But I which, by the way, on. we we conceded that's realistic because you can't drive a jeep and talk on the radio at the same time. Well, it's it's illegal. You can't use uh, you know like just you can't use a mobile phone and drive a car. It's not uh, exactly Europe right is there. very strict. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so. Um, so, so that part was, uh, you know, that's interesting. But then, you know, <clears throat> you can use the you you capture these sectors with with um, land vehicles, and that allows you to gain points, which brings in reinforcements. But that doesn't really do anything for you if you're if you don't fight the battle appropriately. If you're bringing, that, I mean, in a way, that can just cause you to feed the other guy points, right? I mean, he right if, if you're not the battle basically. Decided on material, right? Right. Is it decided right. on how many points you destroy and and versus how many points you lose? So uh, you know it's sort of a first person to X number of points. So if you're trying to score 1,500 points and uh, the other guy's got a bunch of um, uh, a bunch of reinforcement sectors but doesn't <laughs> know what he's doing, then that's great because he's just bringing in points for you to blow up. Uh, so you know I I think that's actually it, having games be too much about territory control. Uh, I think just sort of, I think in this game would be catastrophic because it would uh, uh, would just sort of encourage people to buy a whole bunch of recon. Recon is a great uh, concept, and the concept of cover is a great concept. Um, but it's I think it's implemented appropriately, and it you don't it, there's not a huge benefit to having uh, recon units just run around grabbing territory for its own sake. They'll probably just get blown up. Um, no, you mean command but, units. Like, recon units to give you line of sight, but well, to actually no, grab right, a territory, right, right, you need a, right, right, right. a legit right. right. But what I'm saying is that if you had if you had 
territory control where it, that was how you won you could you'd run around, it, it would make it, it would it, it would encourage people like they do in a lot of real-time strategy games to just you know send fast units all over the map right which i think would 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 break the the oh, yeah. illusion of simulation in this game even more than it does i mean it, the it's already pretty um i mean the the there's no way and i i won't dwell on this because i i understand that the designers didn't didn't do that way but uh, didn't trying to simulate you know a soviet battle drill and having the fact that there, i mean there's no way you could just detach a few tanks and have them go around and, and operate on their own it would be uh you know so soviets weren't trained to do that and then they didn't have the command structure to do that so um i think doing uh, having a having a general area control aspect to the game that allowed you just drive units around and capture things willy-nilly would, would make it even worse uh i will actually say i i enjoy the way that I find it actually tends to concentrate battles in certain locations where I might play the same map a few times, but a lot of times it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like in general the strategy is to like to go out and claim as many sectors as possible. It more like most of my multiplayer matches have sort of followed this pattern of sort of like feel each other out, try to find out where you are, but you have a few, like you establish like your like defense line, you know where you're going to be operating from, and you don't really want to try to you know, expand willy-nilly uh, beyond that. Because after a point, you know, this, this, is, this is such a game where... This is such a game where the, where, the tactics, where the tactics matter so much that there's not a lot of value in just having, like, a scratch force, like, parked off in some distant sector, uh, just, like, just waiting to get picked off, basically. Uh, I, I find that there's, there's usually far more value in sort of maintaining like a, a strong central force and sort of working with those guys, uh, and so like you know in a lot of in a lot of matches I play, uh, you know like a third of the map just won't be used. And these maps are huge, by the way. You know, Bruce really mentioned are. that when you capture a territory, uh, the units that you bring in, some territories let you reinforce. If you control that territory, you can reinforce from that area. Hugely but the important. units don't arrive in that area. Not only that, but Bruce mentioned they arrive at the map, map edge. Even that is not quite true. They arrive at the base of an arrow that is drawn away from the place you actually control. And that's almost never at a map edge. Like the maps tend to give you a lot more room to play with that you need, even the two-player maps. Um, and this leads to these great op- like end runs with helicopters. You know, the, the maps really give you room to breathe with, with those kind of tactics. Uh, or just driving one lone recon vehicle all the way around, or, or maybe having some Spetsnaz troops, you know, in a, in a Jeep or whatever. Uh, th- there's just a lot of room to breathe on these so, maps. I love that. But I wanted to get your guys' opinion on the way victories <clears throat> are decided with that, with that material system. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I've really figured out what I what I think of it one way or the other, but you know, so it basically, it's it's very easy if if you get behind, uh, the the other player certainly has the option to uh, you know hedgehog and make you you know come to them <laughs> and play very defensively and you know because they can you know they can basically they can just basically wait you out cuz cuz they have the lead and the only way you're going to get the lead back is if you go destroy their stuff uh i mean do do you think that uh, do do you think that maybe gives too much of an advantage to whoever comes out to an early lead first of all hedgehog what what kind of self-respecting rts player doesn't use the term turtle uh, <laughs> uh but that's a that's a fair point and i think it's partly where uh, artillery comes into play you know, in a situation where you're behind and you can't risk an assault, uh, just just pray, just fire artillery and pray that you're going to get some casualties there to even it out. I, re- I really like how that works uh, to counter turtling. Tom, I'm looking through this book uh, to find about uh, find what the uh, Soviet turtling tactic uh, or uh, orders and general doctrine was. I'm not finding. Yes, yeah, so I'm looking through here, and I can't. Yeah, under T. Because yeah, all really the Soviets see. knew how to do was rush. That's all they could do. The America boomed. They rushed. We won. Yeah, oh, that's excellent. Yeah, we need to put wow. that. Uh, that that can be the. Uh, yeah, we'll just uh, that's what this podcast will be called. Oh Boom, God. Rush, win. <laughs> uh, uh, but but Rob, it's part of partly also. It's not really something that you know most RTSs try to come up with some cool territory control alternative. You, you know, I've been playing a lot of Company of, of Heroes lately, and capturing those two mm-hmm. victory points is huge. I mean, that's how you win, is you sit on the victory points long enough. 
Uh, and most RTSs want to avoid stalemates in the traditional rush boom turtle structure. You know, they want to get players out on the map. Um, and so this is an end run around that traditional design. You know, it's only, you only win, uh, by killing the other guy's stuff and breaking his units. Um, so there has to be an engagement forced at some point. And the cheap and easy thing to do is what that guy did to you, Rob, is you just sit back. And when I'm playing a multiplayer game and I see a guy start to drop all these forward operating bases, like on my team, I know, oh, he's just going to sit back with artillery and just fire it and hope he gets enough casualties so that we get a lead. The other guy gets frustrated and attacks. He takes enough casualties that, that we win the game. Um, so it's a, it's a new kind of balance. And, you know, people who talk about RTSs as being the same and it's a stale genre, I hate hearing that because something like this comes out and completely reworks how it plays. Uh, and, it, you know, we the, the genre deserves props for this kind of thing, this kind of uh, paradigm shift, for, for lack of a better Oh, my God. He said paradigm. Okay, I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> it's a bit too soon to call it a We're paradigm done. shift. <laughs> but okay. it is, though. I mean, it, they don't well, let the, the, you... It's only paradigm shift if other people follow it. Right now, it's an interesting, it's a good well, example. Well, it's from Ruse. I mean, it's, it's directly from Ruse. They're doing yeah. the same thing they did in Ruse. The only way you won in Ruse is breaking the other guy's stuff. Right. Uh, you know, this is Eugen's approach to... Right. How, you know, everybody else has capture points, you know. But yeah, you're right. I, I, I rolled that out prematurely. I retract it. Mm. Well, and I guess it does, it, it does have the happy virtue of also nerfing, uh, just like, again, like, you know, cheap rush tactics where, okay, I'm oh, sitting yes. on a stack of points. So here comes <laughs> yeah. the mob of tanks. Well, if you do that, great. You might still take that town, but I'm going to waste you on your way in and ha ha ha. Yes. Now I've got the lead. Good luck. And even helicopter rushes. Like, you see Yahoo's, and I say this as someone who tried to do it myself, the first thing I unlocked in this game was the uh, was the Apache. And I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm just going to build a bunch of Apaches with all my starting points, I'm going to fly over to his base, and I'm just going to kill him, and I'm going to shoot any tanks he's driving around. So I, I unlocked the Apaches, and I was playing all these games where I was only buying Apaches, and they would get shot <laughs> down, and I would be 90% of the way towards handing the other guy the game. <laughs> I don't do that anymore, by the way. Ah. So don't 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 get any ideas, Bruce. Got it. I think that happened in our game. You've played more uh, multiplayer than I have, Tom. How how's the community doing here? Because that, that's been my one concern is is when I go on, it's it's a little yeah. quiet, a little quiet out there. And I think it's not so much quiet as it is, and this befits the name European. Uh, I tend to stay up pretty late and play at nights, uh, California time, and I think that's just when the the dudes in Germany who love this game. Uh, are are playing a lot. So, yeah, I don't know how well it's doing in the States simply because they don't have a very big publisher. Um, and I have to say, I didn't even know much about this thing until it came out. Uh, you know, it's just not getting much of a push here in the U.S. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it can seem like a quiet community, and I don't know if it's going to catch on in the States very well. Uh, but late at night here in California, I, I've had very little problem, like, finding games to jump into. Even later at night out here. Uh, but as far as, like, finding people, I, I find, you, you know, it's not – this isn't a game for, like, kids who play StarCraft. Uh, yeah. You, you know, I, I find some some great sports. I find that people will sort of chat and talk to you. Um, I, I've been delighted so far with the, the sort of level of, of the community. So we should we should probably talk about the single player, though, uh, just in case you, you, you don't delve into that multiplayer. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> so how do, you guys feel, how do you guys feel about this campaign? Or a series of campaigns, as it were. Well, I, I haven't, I haven't finished it, so I, I can only tell you, uh, you know, what I get from four or five uh, scenarios. But um, it, it does seem very, uh, it does seem very puzzly to me. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll because it plays the same, uh, you know, exactly the same in each each playthrough. I, I notice, oh, there's the, you know, he's got those. Um, uh, he's got that infantry that's going to come around and try to take my other uh, base out. So I need to first thing I need to do is um, you know drop my own infantry down next to that base and leave them there. Uh, or you know oh when I get up this hill there's going to be uh, uh, you know there's going to be uh, uh, ATGM uh, armed infantry just over that ridge. So you know I have to take those guys out, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's you know pl- there's a, there's a there's a there's a a big informational advantage to having played it more than once, but then it it um, and and also the fact that you can do, you can use that aspect to uh, do better. Uh, there's one where you have to 
achieve your object your main objective in uh, 20 minutes or less the beside side objective everything gives you stars which to unlock units for uh, the camp uh, for the uh, multiplayer which is the kind of the whole point and single player though everything you unlock in multiplayer you right. also get in single player yeah. right and but i mean it, it, as you go through as you go through um, i think that it seems like getting all these stars from my uh, um, from my single-player games, by the time I'm done with the campaign, I ha I'll have you know, pretty much most of the stuff that I need unlocked for multiplayer. It and they don't. I wish, way. and I wish they would let you, uh, you. There's a skirmish AI in here right now um, that you can play a one v one game, just one human against one AI opponent, and I think there, there are three difficulty levels, and it's it's pretty decent. It's okay, uh, but. It doesn't give you any stars, uh, and I really yeah. hate that. So if you don't want to play multiplayer, the only way to get stars is to play the single-player campaign and presumably to play the missions multiple times to get some of those side objectives, which later on, I think there are four campaign chapters or something, later on those side objectives are really difficult, and you do need what Bruce is talking about, that sort of intel from having lost or having failed the objective once. You then sit down to play it again with that objective specifically in mind to get those additional stars. Uh, so the only way, if you don't want to play multiplayer, to get stars and to unlock stuff is to sort of grind away at this single-player campaign, which is often puzzly. Um, and I wish they would just let us play skirmish missions because I've always said there are three ways to play any good RTS. There's the campaign, there's the multiplayer, and there's just skirmish against the AI. Uh, and they don't really, you know, the skirmish, the, the fact that you can include an AI in multiplayer games, uh, I, I think sucks. I think they're fixing that, though. You can't do a 2v2 skirmish game where you've got an AI buddy. Uh, I really wish they'd given more attention to the skirmish mode and made it more rewarding. Yeah, is it but, possible? I haven't actually tried. Can I play co-op? No, there's, there's no comp stomping yet. Uh, yeah. That's terrible because that's the way I play 90%. When I play multiplayer, 90% of the multiplayer I play, except against Tom, who I would never have on my own team. You're not going to spend a single star unlocking anything in the Warsaw Pact. So. Yeah, what's the point? I don't play the comics. <laughs> but Heinz, how about those, how about those Spetsnaz dudes? Oh, yeah. man, the T-80 is pretty fearsome. Yeah, that's right. a, and, and yeah, didn't that's you, another... Bruce, claim that T-34s were overpowered? Or... Yeah, I th I, uh, the T-3485, the fact that that actually has any value whatsoever. Um... <laughs> no, but, no, but here's the thing, though. I mean, one, we both know that the Soviets, like, just kept, we, like, they kept weapon systems ridiculously long. But right. the T-34, isn't, haven't they just basically covered it in missiles? Isn't, there so, isn't that their solution no. to modernizing it? No. Shooting an 85-millimeter gun that was obsolete in the first Arab-Israeli war. You know what, it's probably the T-34, Bruce, in terms of deployment points, is probably so cheap that when you bring out a T-34, you probably get more deployment points. <laughs> they, they pay you to use the T-34. Yeah, well, it's a loss leader. Yeah, and I mean, you know, actually, I actually called out the T-34 by name in a write-up I did for GameSpy on this. Like, I mean, what the hell is this doing in this game? Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, you do have to sort of wrestle with a, a mix of units here, and one one thing I like about you know having cheap, outdated tanks is um, they're really good for just running ahead of your good tanks and getting yeah. blown the hell up. Meat shields, and, uh, yeah. yeah, pretty much. That, and that's and... one of the, that's one of the great things I love about you know I say there's no micromanagement in this <laughs> game, but if you can finesse something like that, Rob, yep. if you can put your cheap tanks out front and then your good tanks back, in, you know, a little ways behind them to sort of bring up the rear. That's like a little formation management stuff that the, the game really rewards you for doing. Uh, you know, and I just put them each on a different control group. You know, one are my crappy tanks, and then on two, on the two button, those are my good tanks that I only bring up into battle after the line of crappy tanks is engaged. Yeah, or especially, oh. like, one thing I end up doing a lot, actually, is I keep my good tanks back because, you know, they have long-range weapons. They're, they're pretty yep. accurate. So they're good in a standoff situation. And then while they're, you know, keeping the other guy's head down, uh, you send up your crummier tanks, get right up in their face, and uh, destroy them with, you know, I mean, they don't have good optics, they don't have good guns, but at close range and with the whole mess of them, who cares? Yeah. Tom, yeah. you said you how how many tanks do you put in your crappy tank group? How many tanks do I put in my crappy tank group? You put all your uh, crappy tanks in the crappy tank group? I don't like twelve. Well, you you manage them in units of four, so it depends on how many deployment points I have. I'll say twelve. A dozen wow. crappy tanks to three good tanks or four good tanks. But so I'm it's saying, a three you just to move wait. those guys all as as one unit, just twelve crappy tanks, just move them around. 
Well, not as one unit because the unit, the, the game divides basically right, the, right, the largest right. control group is four units. But if you select all of my crappy tanks, if I've got 12 right. crappy tanks and I just drag select all of them or double click one of them, which selects all of that type, and then I hit control one, Right. On the keyboard, anytime I hit one, it's selecting all right. of my crappy tanks. That's the question yeah. I was asking. When you when you when you move when you you have a control group, because I know you're Mr. Hotkey. I'm uh, Mr. Hotkey, that's right. That's what I'm Mr. Hotkey. Mr. Hot something. Yeah. Oh, God. Whoa, what was what? that? Is, is that a pass? <laughs> what? Just <laughs> gonna leave that right there. Oh my god. Oh we my mi- god. We've missed you so much, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I hit one and then I hit uh-huh. Q. For uh-huh. the the attack move, and then click on right. my destination, and those crappy tanks they drive up, and when they get you within range, you said twelve crappy stop. tanks that way. Right, right. Okay. Yep. 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 Wait, okay. is that a bad number? Is that <laughs> what's wrong I'm with just, twelve? I I don't know. I just uh, what it's kind just, of math it's, formation? It's not how it was. Yeah, exactly. No, it's you know what he's doing. Yeah. Bruce is like you're trying to suss out my uh, my opening build, aren't you? I'm oh, curious. He's curious. Yeah, but but going back to the, the to the campaign for one second though, I mean, yeah, it, it is puzzling, but I do find it's a good mix of puzzles. There are some scenarios yeah. that I think are very cleverly designed. Like uh, one of the opening Soviet ones is you have to go and like rush and rescue a group of encircled troops uh, who are battling uh, filthy Polish traders. Uh, so you have to you have to race in there in there to the rescue, and if you basically it's a hell's highway situation where there's like one main road leading north to these encircled troops. Uh, and so my first take on it was like, okay, so this this one main road, let's be careful here, let's spread out, let's flank, whatever. Um, and resistance just kept stiffening as I did that. And so when we went back to replay the scenario, it's really this. It what it actually is is a drag race, you know, where you're you've got to you've got to race as quickly as possible, you know, take the casualties you got to and break through before they get uh, a force between you and the guys you're rescuing. And there's a lot of there's a lot of scenarios I think where where there's like. You know, there, there's a neat trick to it. There, there's a, it sort of forces you to play it in a different way, and uh, it also does something that I both love and I think is all incredibly sadistic. And that is that your force pool depletes over the course of the campaign. Yeah, uh, and which, your your experience, you retain your experience as well. That's the counter of that. Your right. your your units that level up stay leveled up. Yeah. Yeah. So those right. those of you yeah. who survive will be great soldiers. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I had a very, I didn't know that was happening. I didn't notice it was happening until the last scenario of the first campaign when I was <laughs> like, oh, units. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh shit, here come the T-80s. All right. I'm going to bring out all the leopard, all the leopard 1A4s I've got. Three. <laughs> and it's just two guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. But the thing about it is they get the, their dexterity improves. There's what if they put the points in, in charisma or constitution? Exactly, yeah, yeah that, that also happens. <laughs> right, well, we, we, we passed our diplomacy check. Actually, the last scenario was peace talks. So, yeah, we just we rolled high on diplomacy, and uh, <laughs> we, we, we talked it out. Good, good, congratulations. They also That's do, like, I mean, and you see these kind of things in single-player RPGs, but they do the classic uh, Zerg, you know, hold out against the Zerg rush mission. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, you, that mission doesn't get old. To be to be entire. I, I agree. Like, I agree with you. Yeah, like once, and especially Rob, once you know it's going to happen, like when it surprises you and it's like, oh, I lost everyone. Ah, but that's the kind of mission they're doing. Then you just hole up, and you know you get defensive stuff, and you put it in trees, and as things arrive, you're shooting them down. And it, it's kind of gratifying. I agree with you, Rob. Yeah. All right. So uh, looks like we've pretty well covered that game. Uh, final final thoughts on it, everyone. Everyone should. Get if you it. live in America, buy it. Play it, uh, and let's show those Europeans a thing or two. This is really—it's really a good strategy game. I really think people should pick it up if they're interested in RTSs or the Cold War. Uh, I think that people should play the Soviet campaign and tell me how it ends because I will never play it. <laughs> no T-34s for you. Um, Not for me, um, nope. It, it ends with you—you you liberate the world from the uh, capitalist tyranny, and uh, wow. everyone's everyone's really happy uh, forever. And you go occupy Wall Street. Free healthcare for yeah, everyone. Pretty much. Uh, uh, free crappy healthcare. Perfect. Can I make an announcement or a statement? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to remind people in the Toronto, greater Toronto area, the Great Lakes area, that on March 31st, I uh, will be having the seasonal, I guess it's the spring, uh, Flash of Steel, Three Moves Ahead uh, meeting and gathering for board games. Uh, there's a post uh, on Flash of Steel that gives the details. It'll be on March 31st from 2 to 6 uh, at a local bar. Um, the post will be linked at the bottom of the podcast. Do hope you can come. We had a great time uh, last time. Uh, people even drive up from Michigan for this. So 
I'm not saying you have to drive that far, but if you're in the area, please come and play games with us. Please bring your Royal Canadian Air Force uh, things. Yes, if you if you come in with a RCAF button or a T-34-85 tank, I'll buy you a beer. Uh, and next time, can we move it a little closer to uh, Los Angeles? You could have one anytime you want. You can host your own. You know what? In that case, I'm going to do it weekly. <laughs> a, 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 a roll your own three moves ahead and meet up. Oh, and there will also be an event at Except, Taxi. Because, so because it's three moves ahead and meet up, Tom doesn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> do I have to be there? Do I have to like, be present at it? You'll just show up. Where's Tom? <laughs> oh, the most, the most meta gathering of three moves ahead fans ever. Um, no, no, th- that's right. Th- there's one of the last thing we should we should mention. And that is, uh, we've got a panel the last day of Pax East. Um, as they are bringing the uh, the celebration to a close in another room, we will be elsewhere talking about the future of strategy gaming, uh, and all the stars in the strategy gaming night sky will be there. And that will that will comprise uh, Rob. And Troy and Julian, I'm presuming. Yes. Excellent. And some friends from the development community. Excellent. Yeah. So that about that about wraps it up for uh, for for war game. Uh, I guess you know, last thing I'd say about it would be um, I've actually kind of wanted this game for a long time, basically ever since uh, you know I read <laughs> Red Storm Rising and Tom Clancy kept ruining it with all this Navy crap and getting away from like what what is really great about warfare of course which is tank combat mechanized warfare uh so th- this is really like I, wh- what i love about this game is just you know with the missiles crisscrossing everywhere and tanks blowing the hell up from like a kilometer away uh it really does feel like those those chapters you know in uh restroom rising where you, you it really brings home how, just how incredibly lethal uh, everything is, as opposed to you know the World War II battlefield, where, like you said, Tom, it's kind of all predetermined. You know who has you know can your gun penetrate this armor or not? That's yeah. gonna that's gonna that's gonna be how it shakes out. Uh, and I would recommend, just... by the way, to, to play on what you're talking about, Rob, because it, it really deserves props for this. There's a great replay feature. Uh, you know, when you're playing, you tend to be zoomed a little higher out because you want to see the battlefield. And there are plenty of times where you can zoom in and admire the graphics. But the replay feature in this is really awesome. You know, after you play a match, just go in there and admire the engagements. Move the camera around, fly it around, and, and you're watching this great cutscene from the battle you just fought. I mean, I mean, I, I just, I can't recommend that enough. It's a, it's something that you can easily just never notice and never do. But after you play a game, uh, go back and enjoy the graphics. Fast forward to the, 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 the place where you and the other guys were, were had a, had a huge meeting engagement, and just enjoy it. Yeah, and you'll even get a little bit of that close combat feeling where it's like, oh my god, I had no idea this actually happened. You yes, know, where yes. there there was yeah. something that looked incidental happening off in the corner of your eye, and it turns out to have been this amazing like struggle. Uh, so so yeah, highly recommended. Um, it's I think it's only like forty dollars on Steam, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's it, it's not that expensive, and uh, you know, if if you have mixed feelings about the RTS genre and wish it were more tactical, well, I mean, your ship has come in. Uh, so so give it a look. Uh, that does it for our show tonight. Uh, as always, our thanks to our producer Michael Hermes for putting this together and concealing all the evidence. Uh, and next week, I'm thinking, next week is it going to be Crusader Kings 2? That sounds good to me. Absolutely. Uh, Tom, Crusader Kings 2? Uh, I, I, if you're inviting me to be there next week for a Crusader Kings 2 podcast, consider me RSVPing right now. All right, excellent. So next week, Crusader Kings 2 with, with Tom. All right. I'll be regular again. Yay! <laughs> All right. <laughs> Now, now, two in a row does not a regular make. <laughs> yeah, it's three in a month. That's a good point. I'll take that. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good, good night, night gamers! Oh, God. <laughs> what in the world?